You're listening to the On Call Show. All right, guys, we are back for another episode of the On Call Empath. I'm super excited for my next guest, Danielle. She's going to be talking about childhood emotional neglect and abuse, sharing her own story. Definitely, you guys don't want to miss this. I think it's a very important topic that needs to be discussed more in the world. And you know, a lot of times it's like a taboo subject. And so I decided to reach out to Danielle and have her kind of talk to her, her own side of what she went through. Danielle um, is a author, coach, and speaker. She actually helps individuals and organizations merge for a clearer vision. She takes ownership uh, to make sure they can take ownership of their choices. She's really good at what she does. Danielle, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Raj, for having me. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here. Yes. And, you know, from our first conversation, I think just talking to you in the beginning, it just, we clicked right from the moment. And I think one of the biggest reasons is because we have something in common. Um, one, yeah, one of those things is, you know, um, dealing with trauma, abuse, and one of the more taboo subjects that we're going to talk about today is childhood neglect and, uh, you know, abuse. So I just want to start off by asking you, like, what got you kind of into all this work? And because you definitely have a lot of passion in what you do. And and I've I've heard you on on Instagram and and social media, and you you really want to help people. And, and have them learn from exactly what you've, you know, what you've been through as a, as a child. Well, I got started on this, just my passion to heal my own soul. Cause I was in so much emotional misery and didn't understand why I felt out of touch with things. I, I just questioned everything in my life and I thought there was something just wrong with me and I didn't know why? Like, what is wrong with me? You know? And so I just, I pressed into find out what was wrong with me and learned about different traumas in my life. I addressed the ones I knew and I grew a whole lot. And, but, you know, then I started, I sat down to start writing a book and I put myself in counseling to do that. And that's when I really learned the bulk of what I do now was going through that counseling to write that first book. And that's when I discovered things in my life that were valid because <laughs> uh, I invalidated yeah. them for so long. I just was in pain. And I just want to point out, cause there's a lot of people listening. Um, we get a lot of people that have been through trauma, you know, childhood abuse. Um, and it's never too late. In fact, you were 54 when you wrote, you know, you independently published your first book and I'm in the process of it and I have to kick myself to just finish it and publish it and get it out there. But you actually did that and you're known on the internet for the lady um, that who loves you. And how did you get that, that uh, title? <laughs> it, it kind of emerged through the lockdown, actually. I, my passion to help people just rose up when the pandemic hit. And it's like, how can I help? How can we go through this? And we did the lockdown. I had no idea how long it would last. I had been afraid of doing videos, but I really wanted to do videos because I know they're so effective, but I was really Mm -hmm. afraid. 
But because of the lockdown and my passion, I just, I committed myself. I made a commitment to myself. I was going to do a live video every day while we were in lockdown. Little did I know we would be on lockdown for 70 days. And so I did a video mm-hmm. every day for 70 days. And the that lady on the internet evolved through that process because I just, I know that knowing you're loved makes all the difference in the world. If when mm-hmm. you, especially going through this pandemic, people were so isolated and so cut mm-hmm. off from people who they could be loved by. And so the lo- lack right. of love was just so heightened. And I was just compelled to that. And I just showed up every day, you know, say, I love you. I love you. And mm-hmm. you, I, and I meant it. And it's like, how can you love people you don't know? Because I, I found a meme that says, if you can hate people for no reason, you can love people for no reason. And I right. really liked that. But you know, it's like getting the love inside of me, then I can pour it out to others. And it's, it's like water to a thirsty soul. Yeah. And You know, abuse, whether it's child, I mean, it could be childhood abuse, or I mean, let's say you're living even with a loved one, a spouse, a family member, you know, when you get to a point where, you know, you're constantly being abused, or the abuse has stopped, and it's been years later. I mean, you're living proof that, you know, you can publish books, you can coach, and you can live a productive life. And that's one of the things that I admire about you and wanted you to be a guest on this podcast for all the listeners out there that are tuning in. Um, Some of them are trapped right now after the pandemic. If that wasn't enough, they're maybe trapped with a spouse or maybe they're a single parent. What can you, I guess, what can you tell to somebody that's been through trauma right now that's listening? um, And how did you learn from, from your, your trauma and and kind of get your back, your life back in order? Uh, a lot of work, but the primary thing I say to people is you have to want to heal. It's not magical. It won't happen in an instant, and it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of courage. At the end of my counseling, uh, when my counselor said that I didn't need her anymore, and she called me a textbook uh, subject, and I asked her why, what what made that what about that made me, you know, that? And she said, courage. That was her first answer was courage is to take courage. I tell, talk about taking ownership. You have to take ownership of your life. Trauma steals it away. It tells you you have no value. It tells you you have nothing, but it, you will just say no. Like, like a little kid that's being told you can't have that, rise up and just say, no, this life is mine mm-hmm. and I will take it back because you can get it back but you have to fight for it. You have to fight Mm -hmm. for it, but you can get it if you'll fight for it. Very well said. And and what I noticed also, I mean, uh, in our last conversation, you legally changed your first name. Is that correct? When you turned 30, can you just tell us the story behind that? (laughs) Uh, Well, I have it like a little bit acted out on my uh, premiere episode of my podcast because it's it's very emotional what I went through, and I didn't realize I had disassociated when it happened, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, I did. I don't remember anything that happened after that. I had an incident with uh, the neighbor's cousin who was at her house, and she was one of those people, they were, the, you know, you have everyone in school, there's, there's the cool person, right? There's a cool <laughs> person, and everyone wants a cool person to like them. 
And so right. that was her status. I was already suffering childhood emotional neglect and didn't have a clue. And so I already thought that I was unloved and unwanted. And this girl, for reasons beyond my imagination, she started chasing me and screaming at me and telling me why my parents had named me the name that they had named me because my mm -hmm. former name had been Diane. And she started screaming at me and was in my face and screaming that my parents called me Diane so that every time they said my name, they were telling me right. to die. They were saying, die, Anne, die, mm -hmm. Anne. And I disassociated and I didn't tell a soul until much later on when I met my husband. Sometime in there, I told him back when I was trying to push him away because I couldn't handle the emotions in that. But I finally shared the story with my mother, which we had to work through our own thing. That's a whole story all in and of itself. But I shared the story with her. She wept, which shocked mm -hmm. me. And she was the one who actually suggested that I change my name. And mm -hmm. it had never occurred to me to change my name because with childhood emotional neglect and trauma, you, what um, Dr. Bessel van Kolp, or however you say his name, uh, mm, he yes. says that a person who has been through trauma, they don't own themselves. So I didn't own myself. That was very true in my life. And so I didn't feel I owned my name. Who mm -hmm. am I to change my name? And my mom encouraged right. me to do that. And I went through a long process of doing that. And choosing your own name is a really interesting experience right. to go through. And uh, it was very intentional to pick Danielle because I had mm -hmm. gone through so much judgment in my life, uh, self-judgment, judgment from others. And Danielle means God is my judge. And mm -hmm. I'm a person of faith. And I believe that God said to me, that you know, only he can judge me. Only he has the right to judge me. No one else does. Mm -hmm. And so this name is a, is a name of freedom for me, right. that I'm put under the judgment of love is what I'm put under. Mm -hmm. And so I can live with that. That's a very transforming, it was very transformative to change my mm -hmm. name, but it was a very involved process. And it right. was messy also because there were people who they didn't like that I changed my name and I got traumatized or not traumatized. Mm -hmm. I was uh, picked on. I was um, treated, abused, verbally abused because I changed mm -hmm. my name. I was told that it was wrong. It was disrespectful. It was ungodly. It was sinful. It was all these different things. And they were wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a powerful story. And, you know, it just takes one thing to that could happen that's you know, even as name calling or, you know, a parent doing something to you when you were a kid, even if they're, you know, they're not saying it like verbally, but, you know, you know, just neglecting you or whatnot, it comes back later in your adult life. And I know a lot of people that tune into this podcast, you know, now, you know, they, they're, they're kind of processing, you know, everything. And, you know, one of the more liberating things is, yeah, you change your name, you move, you know, you cut yourself off from toxic people there's a lot of, lot of uh, you know, survivors out there that tune in that, that know exactly what you're talking about because they want to, you know, do like a fresh start in their life. But just kind of going back here, um, just to start off of childhood emotional neglect, can you just kind of define what that means to you and, and, you know, how, if there's any other effects uh, or any other forms of trauma that was related to that? 
Uh, childhood emotional neglect is when a child does not receive the emotional support and nurture that that child needs. Every child is different and they have different needs and it doesn't mean that the parent did nothing. I learned that I suffered this in therapy, but I didn't know it was called this until I read Dr. Janice Webb's book, Running on Empty. She talks about 12 different types of parents. So it's 12 different ways that you can be emotionally neglected. And she tells it in story ways that you could identify that. And so emotional neglect leaves a hole. And it's hard to see because it's not something that happened. It's something that didn't happen that was supposed to happen, but you didn't know it was supposed to happen. So you don't know that it's missing. <laughs> so when you've been, uh, yeah, when you've been abused, you have, um, you have either emotional pain or if it's been physical, it's physical. Um, I had all my trauma was primarily emotional and spiritual and then the neglect that left a big hole, which emotional neglect augments other kinds of trauma. And it also makes you more susceptible to other kinds of trauma because emotional neglect leaves you with the inability to own your needs. You become ashamed of having needs. You think there's something wrong with you for having needs. And so you discount just about everything in your life. So let me ask you here. Um... And I'm sure, I mean, some people can relate with this, but if you were raised in a totally normal household where your parents, they gave you food, they gave you shelter, they gave, you know, they, they celebrated your birthday, everything sounded great from the outside. Can something as far as verbally or neglect, can that be, in your opinion, can that be um, considered if there's no like any physical or uh somebody you know doing something to you like uh, physically or or can it be more impact inf- impactful um saying you know hurtful things and neglecting you even though everything is met your food shelter you know your schooling everything is taken care of can somebody still you know go through suffering later on absolutely Absolutely, without question. People can have all of their needs met physically and have nothing met emotionally. They can have all of their needs met physically and some of their needs met emotionally. There's a old study they did years ago on rhesus monkeys where they had the one was wrapped in this warm stuff and the other one had food. And the monkeys, they went toward the one which was warm because Mm-hmm. We are creatures that we need love. We are emotional creatures mm-hmm. and we need it. We can go without food and water um, more than we can go without love. We will die without mm-hmm. it. We die from the inside out. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really sticks out that even today, which is hard for me to even talk about, is I had a I had a friend in high school and he was one of the smartest kids that I knew. And, you know, we would play basketball and sports and everything. And I went over his house. Everything seemed so normal. His parents were super nice. One day, um, you know, I got home from school and um, I got a phone call from another friend saying that, you know, the guy hung himself and he committed suicide. And he was like 16 years old, 16, 17 years old. And it was right in my neighborhood. And I'll never forget it. I walk past the house all the time and, and it just makes me think like, okay, what, 
what caused that? And then I've, you know, he was like a good friend. So I, he, we talked all the time. Everything seemed pretty normal, but what I didn't find out later is that he was getting a lot of pressure from his family. And even though they, they took care of his needs, they, you know, they paid for everything. Um, he was going to go to one of the top colleges in the country, but it was just, you know, he was getting like that subliminal messages from his parents that if he isn't, you know, number one and goes to medical school and gets into the best college, oh, that's, uh, that's... he's going to, they're going to send him away. And so he was like, that's not going to happen. Cause I'm going to take my life before that. And until this day, what, what really, really bothers me is the parents will never know. And I'm not, I'm not going to be the one to tell them because I knew him very well. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it was because of his parents that he he that caused him to go over that edge because every day he would be, you know, he would tell me certain things here and there and be like, man, if I don't get in, they're going to send me away. And, you know, I can't handle that. And, and if he gets anything lower than a certain grade. So having that, um, it really it really opened my eyes because you don't know. I mean, just because you don't see bruises. Right. Doesn't mean it's it's not something's not changing in the brain. And as we get older as adults, you can look at brain scans. You can look at the studies. Oh yeah. It changes our, our, the way we interact with other people. And um, so it's very real and abuse can be in all kinds of forms. Yeah. Emotional abuse and uh, emotional neglect are that they're, they can be invisible and makes them more dangerous. I think because you, because you can't see them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not, belittling the other kinds they are all horrid (laughs) but Mm -hmm. uh when you can't see it then you can't address it and if you can't address it then you can't heal but if you can see it then you can do something Mm -hmm. about it so that's one thing that you know something that happens if you can see it then you can do something about it that makes it have something beneficial to it not that it's better but it just it has a tool that the other one doesn't Mm -hmm. have and that's why what i do is i am promoting and getting out there and trying to get really loud online about making Mm -hmm. invisible things seen because there are people who are silently wounded. They don't even know that they have these wounds in their Mm -hmm. hearts and in their minds and in their emotions, and they're never going to heal if they can't Mm -hmm. see it because they won't address it because it starts with seeing it. Like in that quote, Mm -hmm. I have a quote in my first book that has just resonated with people all around the world. And it was, they, they talk about the validation. They need the validation. Mm-hmm. You have to see this thing. You have to be able to see it to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned also in, in, in that quote, it, you know, trauma is personal. Um, and, you know, it just because, you know, people don't talk about it, you know, it's still valid. You know, when, when it's ignored and invalidated, that's when, um, you know, it starts to build. And as adults, as we grow older, it starts to come out in all different areas from our work, um, dealing with family, spouse, you know, just people in general. Um, there are certain triggers that that come from that. So uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you um, is why is it so hard to talk about, uh, you know, the truth about childhood abuse? And why is it so so embarrassing for a lot of people to kind of discuss this, uh, this topic, this sensitive topic. Oh, a couple of reasons. One is 
that especially with the neglect in that is people have a loyalty to their parents when they're growing up their parents are their heroes that's the way it's designed they need to have their mm-hmm. parents be their heroes but when their parent is not a hero then they take the blame on themselves because they mm-hmm. they have to keep the parent being the hero and so they turn themselves into the villain instead of their parent and so to address it, they have to turn that around. They have to look at the parent and see what the parent did or whatever authority figure happens to be the case. It might not be a parent. It might be a caregiver. Mm-hmm. It might be a teacher. It might be a pastor. It could be any kind of person who held authority in your life, a, a sibling, mm-hmm. you know, a neighbor. But um, There's the shame. There's dealing with mm-hmm. the shame. Shame is a huge, huge, huge part of dealing with um, childhood emotional uh, neglect mm-hmm. and childhood emotional abuse, and even all the other kinds of abuse, also because it—that's it, what a child does. A child it takes mm-hmm. the blame on themselves, but a child is never to blame for their for their trauma. Never, never, mm-hmm. never, never, never. But they have to turn it around and and ascribe that blame to where it goes. You know, I, I talk about in one of my books about because I separate the word be and cause mm-hmm. into two words. Because it's to identify the cause, because you feel a certain way, you act a certain way because of something. There's a reason. Mm. And it's not that flippant, everything happens for a reason, because I really hate the way that gets thrown around. But instead, it's more like you're looking for the root of the dandelion. You're like, what was the cause? Where did this start? (laughs) And if you can go to that and see the cause, then you put the blame there only to take it off of yourself. (laughs) But then after that, you own what happened, the the effect, because the cause Mm -hmm. created an effect. And getting stuck on the cause won't let you heal either, because then you get stuck in blame, and then you never go anywhere either. So it's a lot of work. (laughs) And so you you have to look at the effect of it, and then you you focus on the effect and then you focus on healing the effect. Yeah. And, um, I follow Gabor, um, oh, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's one of my favorite, uh, favorite people that talk about, you know, addiction and, you know, abuse. And he's even said, and a lot of his, uh, podcasts and, and work and his books that the brain is so impressionable in your first couple of years here when you, when you're a child and everything that happens between ages of two and around five, that is going to shape kind of like who you are, what's important to you. So, you know, if, if you're in a family and they're not giving you attention or they're neglecting you, that's going to 100%, um, you know, somehow affect you in relationships, schooling, dealing with people, um, I mean, obviously, there's genetic components to that as well, where some people can manage it better than others. But just in the world today where we're living, where everything is so critical, even with like, let's just for example, like your weight, if like you in a household where they're always poking fun at you, because you're overweight, well, guess what, you're gonna, when you go out and someone mentions that to you, that's going to be a big trigger. That's going to be like your soft spot. And then from that, it's going to cause more anxiety, more depression, then a lot of people end up eating more and it just becomes a snowball effect. Right. It's like you become what they what they prophesy over you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like with me, I was like, they. I was always told I was too sensitive. You're too sensitive. You're too sensitive. And also you're selfish. 
mm-hmm. you know? So I got to a place where I tried to just get rid of myself because the self mm-hmm. was just so evil, how I felt growing up because mm-hmm. I was so selfish about everything that, um, and now I'm a self-love coach. So <laughs> I'm really yeah, the opposite and that's of how, that. <laughs> that works perfectly because when, let's say you're a highly sensitive person or an empath, Mm-hmm. And I tell you this, and, you know, obviously you're going to do everything to prove otherwise, you know, and, and so that's the type of world that we live in now. It's like all the people that have been through so much hurt now are trying to make sense of it, you know, and you know, I, I learned myself through a lot of these podcasts and, and, and things like that. And, and especially, you know, influencers like yourself, um, who's, you know, giving back so much and you've been through it. You personally, so you know it's something that can't be seen, but it's there. And you know, as as technology gets better, and we can see on the scans that the brain actually does change. But the good news is neuroplasticity; it you can rewire your brain. Right. Um, There's all kinds of um, stuff you can do. There's EDMR therapy. In fact, I'm going to have a EDMR therapist. in the next couple episodes, just to kind of break down, you know, how to kind of deal with uh, childhood abuse and, and how that EMDR works exactly, which is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, Danielle, just wrapping up here, um, I'm just going to throw you just like a curveball. If you can just give me your best answer and, and just, just whatever you feel, because I know you've been through a lot of trauma yourself and there's somebody out there right now that's listening who may have given up on life. They've tried going to therapy. They've tried reaching out to, you know, people that thought they could help them, friends, but they see, keep going in that same circle. You mentioned the root cause. Speak to that that person right now that's that's listening out there that just kind of gave up and childhood abuse is what it is and 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 that's it. What can you tell them? Because obviously you're 54 and you wrote a book. You've come so far. You've, you know, you've, you've helped so many people. I think you would be the best person to kind of guide that, that, that person that's listening right now. Well, the biggest thing I would want to offer is hope to don't give up hope because there's an old saying where there's a will, there's a way. And I believe that if you will press into that will to find a way. I went through counseling earlier in my life and I they actually did more harm than good. And when I put myself in counseling for my book um, uh, seven years ago, I went through three counselors first before I mm-hmm. got the one that actually helped me because you know, one of them called me a liar and another one was something else. And so I, I get it that there can be mm-hmm. bad matches. There can be you know, not good counselors and things like that. But if you won't give up and find a way, just be determined to refuse to stay where you are. That's something I wrote in my first Mm -hmm. book. I got to where I am by refusing to stay where I was. It's like change, change is how I got where, where I got today. Just by, I will change. This is going to be different. And just like, like there's this old, old story of a little, two little boys that um, they took to the psychologist and one they put in a room with a bunch of toys and he sat and cried. And the other one they put in a room 
with a pile of horse manure and the one mm. with the toys, he cried because he was afraid he was going to break something. But the one with the manure, he was digging through the manure and they're like, what are you doing? He said, well, there's <laughs> so much manure in here. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> and so to adopt, how you look at it, right? <laughs> yeah, to adopt that, adopt that. And you might have to, you have to just choose to have that attitude because it doesn't just land on you. You have, you have to just choose it. You have to take ownership. Like I said earlier, you have to take back what rightfully belongs to you. Your life is yours. Someone mm -hmm. stole that from you and you have a mm -hmm. right to take it back. And so I'd say, don't give up hope. Keep looking somewhere mm -hmm. else. Find another book. Look for a different counselor. Uh, find a course. Get in a group. Mm -hmm. if, if it feels bad, get out if, and go to the next one. But don't give up because you are worth it, because you matter. Mm -hmm. And I love you. You guys have it. You've heard it from the best. Um, I just want to point out also, if, if anyone's on the fences of, of, you know, they're fearful of taking the next step, whether it's writing a book, starting in a new career, doing something new, starting an exercise program, a diet program, whatever it is, and you feel like, you know, something's holding you back, whether it's your past, your trauma or abuser, you know, one of the reasons I, I bring particular guest on this podcast is to show you that somebody that could go through so much hell could turn it around and be successful. Danielle, it's been a pleasure having you. Before we take off, can you just tell us where we can find you on uh, social media, please? Oh, thank you. Uh, my website is Danielle Burnock. It's B-E-R-N-O-C-K.com. And uh, if you Google my name, you can find me all over the place. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, TikTok, Twitter, <laughs> everywhere all <laughs> over all the place. Over. My books are on Amazon. You can get them anywhere. Mm -hmm. So, yes. All right, guys. <laughs> you guys check her out. It was a pleasure having you. You're always welcome oh, back. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. Absolutely. There you have it, guys. Uh, if you can, please always uh, let me know how I'm doing. Feel free to leave a review. It really means a lot. It helps me keep pumping out more episodes. We're getting close to that 100 episode, and uh, I'm so excited. This podcast is growing so fast. And just know, guys, you guys are never alone. So with that said, we are out. You're listening to the On Call Man You have to want to heal. It's not magical. It won't happen in an instant. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of courage. At the end of my counseling, uh, when my counselor said that I didn't need her anymore, and she called me a textbook uh, subject, and I asked her why, what, what made that, what, what about that made me, you know, that. And she said, courage. That was her first answer was courage is, to take courage. I tell, talk about taking ownership. You have to take ownership of your life. Trauma steals it away. It tells you you have no value. It tells you you have nothing. But if you will just say no, like, like a little kid that's being told you can't have that, rise up and just say, no, this life is mine mm -hmm. and I will take it back because you can get it back, but you have to fight for it. You have to fight mm -hmm. for it, but you can get it if you'll fight for it.